It's the story of an American held in a dark Venezuelan prison. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. I'm Becky Bruce. I spent a year working on Hope in Darkness, which now has more than 2 million downloads. Find it on kslpodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. Never seen the sky so blue. The birds are singing, I got nothing to do. Hey, 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 hey. It's a sunny day. My pocket's empty, my cupboard's bare. But call me illogical, I just don't care. Hey, hey, hey. It's just a sunny day. KSL Greenhouse. Information and great talk about your home, garden, and your lawn. If you love perennials, can't get enough help on landscape design, or just want to keep your lawn and vegetable garden pest-free, grab a pen. It's the KSL Greenhouse on KSL News Radio. Good morning. Thank you for joining us for the KSL Greenhouse. Maria Shalas, Tom Bettis with you this morning. We'll be taking your calls, 801-575-8255. You can text us at 57500. Ton, we know this is a tough time for gardeners who love to be out just playing in the soil. So for our top of the hour feature, I uh, want to talk about some things that you can do in the winter, some activities that you can do to kind of help you get your gardening fill and kind of keep the blues away. Yeah, I I spoke with JD a few weeks ago about what he does because he says, you know, I get depressed in the winter and a lot of my fulfillment is being outside, whether I'm gardening, hiking, you know, right. He's written a couple of books about wildflowers, um, whatever it is. He loves being outdoors and, during the winter, you know, especially up in Cache Valley, it is just cold and you've got a lot of snow that doesn't melt off. And so he found that growing plants in his office and at home under lights is something he can do to help offset some of that depression because he has something to take care of every day and just gives him something to look forward to, whether he's growing a flower or a vegetable or whatever. And it kind of spurred me to try to find something, an article that gives suggestions on what to do during the winter to kind of scratch that itch Mm -hmm. as far as gardening and being outdoors. So I do like the growing plants indoors, whether it be in a terrarium. Um, You know, you can go online, you can find all sorts of little growing systems that have lights and they're, you know, they're fun to experiment with. I'm not sure I get completely fulfilled by some of those things, but it does make me feel better to still be doing some gardening. It really does. I call it my experimental time. Yes. And so terrariums, and you don't need an expensive container to do a terrarium. I've seen people grow them, and they're not permanent, but grow a little terrarium in a mason jar. Or if you really want to get into it, I've seen people get those old-fashioned apple juice, the gallon apple juice containers mm-hmm. that are glass, and use um, long tweezers to put stuff in there right? and grow in one of those old apple juice containers and they'll put a cork or something on top of it. And so you can, you can use your son's old aquarium like you me can. that he kept a reptile in. Yes. An old yeah. aquarium. There's mm-hmm. all sorts of things you can use. 
and they're self-sustaining for a number of years, but it's always fun to rearrange things, clean it up a little bit, but that it is quite fun to have a terrarium. Yeah. Last year too, I experimented with geraniums, starting geraniums from clippings, which is so easy to do and it's so fun. And maybe that'll be a whole nother topic for another day, but there are some really fun things that you can do. There are. And some of these suggestions in the article you know, include forcing uh, bulbs. And so you can still purchase tulips and hyacinths, daffodils. Yes, you can. You can. And most of those require a a cooling period at at or below 40 degrees. And so what I recommend people do is just put those bulbs in a Tupperware with a moist paper towel and put them in the fridge with a lid on and just check it weekly. Sometimes you might start getting a little bit of mold, but the moisture from the paper towel keeps the bulbs hydrated. And after about eight to 12 weeks, depending on the species and variety, you'll start to see the roots pop through the bottom of the bottoms of the bulbs. Mm-hmm. When you start to see one or two little roots, you would go get a pot that is... You know, depending on the number of bulbs, let's say you have six, you would probably want an 18-inch wide pot that is at least a foot deep. You, Because you have to put those bulbs six inches into the soil, and they need a good six inches for rooting. And so you would put them in there, but you can force those tulips in February and March, you know, in late January and February, you know, a good six weeks to two months ahead of time. And you would have these that you made that would just be fun to put in the home and you can let them grow or compost them after they're done flowering. And what you can do is when, if you grow them is just put them out on a porch, keep them watered. They will die back on their own and just pull the bulbs out and plant them somewhere in the yard. Mm -hmm. So that's something a little more involved, but bird feeders, you know, a lot of times birds make a big mess, but if you do some research, get the right kind of feeder place in the right area, you can get all sorts of birds and beautiful birds that you can watch all winter and kind of get familiar with them. Uh, clean and sharpen your tools. This is more practical. But a lot of times we will use our tools all summer and put them in the winter and they have resin from the plants on them and just different things. And it actually slowly degrades the steel that you're using for pruning. Mm-hmm. And so it's really good to get some rubbing alcohol or um, what is the, the soap, the orange, the fast orange. I Anyway, to clean your tools. I want to say orange oil, but I'm yeah, not sure the, that that's Mike right. likes citrus oil mm-hmm. that breaks through the, uh, the resins and things from plants, but it's important to keep those sharp and keep the steel clean so that they don't corrode from just junk being left on them. Mm-hmm. You know, you mentioned build a terrarium in late winter. You can, you know, when you're pruning your fruit trees in February and March, you can go out and get some of those branches and bring them inside and put the branches in water, you know, in a pot. And a week to two weeks later, they're beautiful. They'll have blooms all over them. So, I mean, there's just lots of different things you can do. All right. And for more ideas, I mean, even growing sprouts or microgreens, check out this article that we just put up on the KSL Greenhouse Facebook page. We're going to come back with your calls and comments. Uh, People are awake now, Tom. So we have a number of people waiting. I don't want to keep them waiting any longer. Number to call with your questions, 801-575-8255. You can text us at 57500. I'm Dave Cauley. 
investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts. Thank you for spending your Saturday morning with the KSL Greenhouse. Maria and Ton with you this morning. We have a number of callers waiting on the line. Let's get right back to our phone lines. And John has been waiting patiently in South Weber. Good morning, John. What is your question? Uh, I got a couple. Um, I have two weeds that I seem to be losing the battle with. Uh, One is the violets in my lawn. I got an area of my lawn where they just seem to be taken over. And the other is filled vine weed in my garden. I just see more and more filled vine weed every year. Uh, spent some time yesterday digging each one of them up as best as I could. But I seem to be losing the battle on those two weeds in my home. Well, on both of these, I'm more worried about the bindweed. And that hand digging it is an option, but you have to do that about every two to three weeks for about seven or eight years before you really make a dent against it. Uh-huh. And so roguing it out like that will make it so you can garden, but those roots will take seven to between seven and 10 years to kill. If you go out when, and every two or three weeks, every time those vines get about six inches long and pull them out. And so um, are you adverse to using herbicides uh, at all? No, I, okay. I use Roundup all the time. What I would have recommended doing is getting your Roundup and mixing it with a spreader sticker or surfactant and spraying the bindweed with it and not digging it. Okay, but he's okay. talking about in his lawn. You're ta- are you talking, I'm talking about the garden. in your lawn or garden? Yeah, the bindweed in the, the garden. Yep. Okay. And this is after your plants are out. So all the gardening oh. plants are out. Then you would leave the bindweed alone and spray it, and you'll get about a 50% reduction every year when you do that. And so it's not going to get rid of it, but it will reduce its numbers back and make it easier to handle. Okay. What about the violets? So I do have a lot of violets growing in my one area of my lawn. So are you in an area of South Weber where you have really sandy soil? Um, No. I have, no, not really. Okay. Sometimes that sandy soil can be deficient in certain nutrients like phosphorus or potassium. And I was going to recommend getting a soil test to make sure that the lawn, and it may still be worth doing, having USU do a soil test for you to make sure that you're not deficient in anything that is allowing the violets to thrive and the lawn to not. But as far as a spray, there's a few of them out there. Uh, the uh, T-Zone from PBI Gordon has a product called Triclopyr in there that 
seems to be a little more effective against lawn violets. And so you could pick that up from either IFA or maybe J&J Nursery in Layton would be a couple places to look. J&J is a PBI Gordon distributor. You may need to purchase it from Great Basin Turf over in their commercial division. But T-Zone, there's some other triclopyr products out there. If they don't have it, you could try Speed Zone or Four Speed XT. There's several of them out there. Okay, so T-Zone. Yeah, T-Zone would be my first choice. It's not a one and done, oh. though, you need to no. know. It takes several applications. So you have to keep on it. Spray spring and fall. Spring and fall. Okay, yes, is and then, too late this year? Yeah, and so the other one you could try in the summer is called Q4 Plus or another like image all in one lawn weed killer. That would actually be the better one. Images all in one lawn weed killer. Okay. All in one lawn weed killer. And that can be picked up from Regan's IFA, maybe even J and J again, some local retailers, but the image can be used more in the middle of the summer. And so you do spring and fall with T zone and one in the summer with image and that should clean it up. But I would also look at soil testing, your irrigation, because there's something going on because your grass would normally not completely outcompete lawn violets, but compete much better against them. And if those lawn violets are going crazy, there's something with the soil or management allowing it to do that. Okay. Yeah, they're kind of growing around the peach trees where we have lawn as well. So that's kind of... Yeah, and you need to be careful because a lot of these sprays I mentioned are not registered for use around trees. And so you need to read the label and see what it says. A lot of them say use caution and some of them say do not use under the canopies of trees. Oh, okay. (laughs) So look at your labels. Okay. Appreciate it. All right, John, thanks for your call this morning. We're going to stick with our phone line here for a minute. And let's go to Sue, who now is on the line in Pleasant Grove. Good morning, Sue. What is your question? Yes. Hi. Uh, The city is going to put in curb and gutter and sidewalk out in front of our house. They're going to redo the road. And I've got to move a Sargentina crab apple and a a small weeping blue spruce. I've been waiting for the leaves to fall off the crab apple, and they're just starting to turn yellow. So... Um, would it be better to do them now or wait until spring? When is the city going to install curb and gutter? Um, they're probably going to start on the project around March. So I would, if you waited for spring, you know, you, those trees would definitely be dormant, but if you do happen to get the leaves to drop and you can dig, I would do it this fall just to get them moved. On the crab apple, but what about the blue spruce? Well, Bruce Bruce, you could actually move now. Okay. So, okay. How long have they been in the ground? Um, The crab apple, probably about four or five years. The blue spruce, about two years. Okay. You may, with the crab apple especially, you'll be starting over like you have a brand new tree. And it'll take three or four years to reestablish, so. It's it's tiny. It's uh, Sargentina. Okay, yeah. Thanks so much for okay, your call this morning. Okay, thank you very morning. much. Mm-hmm. Uh, Nexus Nerton says their arborvita turned brown on the south side, possibly from the hot summer. Will they come back? Probably not. Once the needles are all brown on a particular side, they usually have to fill in from branches that are not brown. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's go back to the phone line. Brandon is in Bountiful. Good morning, Brandon. 
Good morning. I, I typically compost my leaves in my garden with a bit of nitrogen. This year, though, I've noticed that my maples are falling to the ground green. They're not changing color. Uh, Maybe because of the drought, I'm not sure, but uh, is it still okay to take those green leaves and compost them in my garden? It's absolutely fine. Yep, the warm weather probably prevented them, and for whatever reason, they've formed that abscission layer where the tree actually has to physically form a layer that causes the leaves to fall off. And so apparently you have the abscission layer, but with going from warm to cold so quickly, the tree wasn't able to get all of the nutrients and things out of the tree that it would store in the roots. And so the leaves just dropped. All right. Thank you so much. All right. Thanks for your call this morning. Uh, Next listener says they were told that their lawn has fungus. Uh, They've never had that before. What is the best way to get rid of it? Well, I mean, that's like someone telling you, yeah, you have a headache. You know, why, though? You know, are you dizzy? Why are you dizzy? So you need to know what is happening. We need to know what's going on. So they are going to need to wait until spring and let the lawn start growing probably late April into May. And if the still, whatever's going on is still there, they need to get a sample and send it up to the USU Pest Lab. And so if they do an Internet search... And and they just search USU Pest Lab sample submission. Mm-hmm. They can mail that grass in, but unfortunately, it's just not enough information. Uh, next listener wants to know, what's the name of that very narrow decorative pine tree that they see planted close to homes? Do you have any idea what There are several, unfortunately. I'm Branches hoping are not very dense. They're probably thinking of subalpine fir, and I would run away Uh-oh. run away fast the other one it could be is blue atlas cedar mm-hmm. and that's another one even the columnar version is not appropriate to be planted against a building the columnar version needs to be six or seven feet out subalpine fir are just not adapted to our valley soils and temperatures so what would they plant close to their front door uh, there are a number of conifers that only get three feet wide skyrocket juniper there's another newer one that's like skyrocket that's even more narrow uh so there are several like that they could do but if they're wanting that kind of christmas tree look neither subalpine fir or blue blue atlas cedar are appropriate for different reasons all right we need to take a break for the bottom of the hour news when we come back joel you are first up on the phone lines number to call 801-575-8255 texas 57500 I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts.